Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan is going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Hello, folks. Welcome to this week's edition of the Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Moderna, and I'm joined by my co-host, Larry Hughes. Larry, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, same old, same old. I think at some point here, we're we're going to get tired of of doing this, uh, this non-basketball intro, but it, it'll be good to have some things to talk about. But I think we got some good topics lined up for today and try to give people some, some good insights as always. Yes, sir. Uh, All right, folks, we're going to be joined here in a couple minutes by a rising American tennis star, Francis TFO. He's currently number 81 on the ATP tour. He's been a career high, number 29, as recently as the last year. Francis is only 22 years old. He's played matches against Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, giving them all that they can handle. So this is a name you're going to be hearing a lot uh, over the next couple of years, not just if you're a tennis fan, but overall, he's got a great story. And he is a DMV native and a Wizards fan. So we want to show him a little love and talk a little bit about the overlap between the two sports. Francis, how's it going? Things are well. Things are well. I mean, I'm just at, at a massive hold right now, and 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 ready and ready to uh, to hopefully get it going soon. Are you uh, down in down in Florida at the USDA facility, or where are you hold up these days? I'm I'm actually I'm actually based here. I'm actually based here in DC. Um, I mean, I live the war from train out of Maryland. So yeah. First off, man, I know you're you know, itching and scratching to get back out there and do what you do, man, and praying for this situation to, to pass and we can all get back to, to normal life and do what we do, man. But just got a few questions for you. Some of them have to do with the Wizards. Obviously, you're, you're in D.C. But just as a former player, I, I'd like to know who your who your favorite current player is. For, on the Wizards. On the Wizards. I mean, you got, I mean, you got to say, you got to say real deal, Bill. I mean the guys. Okay. I mean, I mean he's got an, he's got a completely screwed not getting an all star. I mean I, he's a walking bucket. He can do anything he wants with the rock. I mean he's got a wet jump where he can come to the lane. I, I love his handle. He's he's really impressed me this season and the fact that he can get all star that won't hurt me too. I mean he didn't get all star. He he may win one of the all all NBA teams. So that may be a little bit of console right. for him. Right. There's a little longer term money uh, connected with that all NBA team too when he goes for that that next exactly, contract. Exactly. So, Francis, um, obviously, you grew up in the D.C. area. You're a big NBA fan overall. Like, how, how big into the Wizards are you uh, Are you overall? Like, are you are you a diehard crazy fan, or, or what, what's the deal? I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty, pretty serious fan. I mean, I, I've definitely followed all the games. You know, I'm, I'm really into it. When I'm home, I go I go to almost every game. I'm really close to Ted. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely invested in my Wizards, and I definitely want John Wall to get back. I mean, I like our crew. I like our squad. And hopefully... I mean, hopefully we can have some success in the future. I just want to know, since you're watching a lot of basketball, which player, whether it be a Wizards player or just someone in the NBA, that you would say your game mirrors them on the basketball court? Which player do you feel has the mentality that you have, they have it in the basketball space? When I'm in my best moments, I mean, I got to I, I got to say it. I got to say Giannis. I mean, I'm, I'm a killer. I don't care who, who I'm playing against. It's dope for it. Like, I just, I just want to dub. I want to go eat. So, and seeing him, what he does every night with the Bucks, that is a killer. Obviously, you can put Westbrook in there and guys like that. But a guy who just constantly getting wins and wins and wins, that dude's special, man. Francis, you mentioned, like, in the Wizard squad and, and some of the young guys and stuff like that. What, what do you think of Rui Hachimura so far? 
I love Mason Ruiz. I think he's definitely a baller. Uh, I, I was pretty impressed. I wouldn't know what to expect. Obviously, would he go eighth or ninth in the overall? So yeah, I mean, obviously coming from that guy, I, I thought he had a you know pretty good season. Obviously, he was out for a little bit there, but you know I like him. I mean, you you think about you put you know you put John back in there with Brad, how he's playing. Rui, obviously you have Thomas Bryant, and I mean if even Wilshere Brown Jr. I mean, I, I think it's a decent decent squad. I mean, especially in the East to get at least four or five and get your season in the playoffs. I mean, I really like our squad, fully healthy. So, so what what have you been doing to to stay in in shape and stay fit? I mean, you're able to train, or you're able to to work with a trainer, you're able to work with teammates. You know, what what yeah. have you been doing to you know stay sharp? Exactly, I've had um, I was working with my with my family and my brother, my girlfriend, and and stuff like that with my fitness coach uh, at a little private gym that I was able to get access to for for about a week, ten days, and then they put us on lockdown, obviously. So yeah, I mean now now I mean I'm. The garage in my uh, in my apartment building is massive space, and I've been doing like you know agility work, sprints, and you know skip rope and things like that to kind of do something there in the day. Yeah, it's been crazy, man. So, so as a guy that's been through two lockouts, you know, I'm gonna give you advice: to stay ready, stay exactly. ready, so so you don't have to have to get ready. You know, exactly. I've been through two <laughs> two work stoppages. This is a, this is a life stoppage, but just stay yeah. ready, man. You know, just stay ready. Push yourself to the limit. Yeah, hundred percent. That that that's kind of been my my mindset because. I want to get back and be as fit as ever and, and just be ready to, to just go full throttle as soon as I step back up. For instance, you obviously play uh, – the tennis season is an 11-and-a-half-month season, basically. Um, stupid. Yeah. The, the wear and tear you guys got to put on is, is probably as much as, you know, any sport. Has this been kind of good for you to be able to take a little bit of a health break and rest up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I had a bit of a ranking drop, so I, I was actually hungry to kind of play any wells in Miami and get those big events and hopefully go for some big rounds to get my ranking back to – where it was obviously like twenty the twenties, but yeah, now I got time to reflect and, and kind of sit back and just and just know what I got to do when I get back out. And you know, I'm excited for it. Hopefully, this thing cools out. I mean, I was obviously more excited that my family ultimately doesn't have it. Uh, were you out in Palm Springs when when you got news about the season shutting down? Right, right, right. So we're all there, sitting ready to go. All the players are there, and then they're like, "All right, it's canceled." And we're all sitting there, like, "All right, <laughs> so what, what's our next move?" Everyone's talking about Miami, and then they then they said, "All right, yeah, we're, we're out of job for six weeks." So everyone evacuates, and then they said, um, "Then they said, all right, cool, we're gonna come back to June." Then they said, "All right, cool." Now Wimbledon gets canceled. All right, now now we won't see you guys till July. <laughs> so we're like, "All right, fuck." Now now we actually feel like it's the NBA offseason break. Yeah, that's that, that's 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 tough, man. We're we're praying that we all can get back to some sort of normal life. You know, let you guys get back to doing doing what you love to do. Again, man, stay stay. Make sure you stay right. Stay in a good headspace. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that's definitely the plan. So, where you guys at? I'm in St. Louis. So you talk about Brad Beal. I'm born oh, and yeah. raised. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm born and raised in St. Louis and from St. Louis. So I'm glad you picked uh, picked Brad because he's a hometown guy. That's the thing. He must be big over there. I mean, him and Jason Tatum, huh? There you go. Yep, there you go. I mean, he, you, he got, you got off. a little basketball history. I like it. That's I'm, I'm telling you, man. I love hoops, man. I'm, I'm I'm all over it. But yeah, man, Tatum also popped off this year. I actually thought he played better after the All Star break than than he did even before an All Star. Yeah, it's just that hard work and dedication. Oh, that dude's mean, man. That dude's special. That's what the kind of jump we're looking for from from you once you get back into the twenties here, Francis. That, that's hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm I'm about to get back and do make make some noise like I was in, in the past. Uh, there's a, another uh, famous basketball fan on the ATP tour. Nick Kyrgios is obviously, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of NBA guys follow him and stuff. I mean, he's yeah. That's all me and him talk about. I mean, we talk about hoops. We, get, we both got a ton of jerseys. We talk about hoops nonstop. I mean, he's he definitely loves it. I mean, obviously, every time you see him, he's NBA league pass. He's watching games. <laughs> he absolutely loves it. But yeah, I mean, I think it's great. Man. I think basketball is a great sport. 
Yeah, I mean, he, when he was in Palm Springs, he wanted to go see the Bucks and the, the Lakers showdown. He's a Celtics fan, right, for the most part? Yeah, he's a Celtics fan. I remember, I remember when the Wiz lost to them in seven, uh, 16, 17 season. Man, that hurt. I mean, him were just going back and forth. Fucking Kelly Olenek going for 34. That, is that like, that's bullshit. But, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a big Celtics fan and I'm a big uh, Washington fan. It seems like that little rival, rivalry is pretty special. I mean, they seem like both teams usually bring it when we play against each other. I try to remain professional because I'm around a good amount of these guys in the locker room and stuff like that. But when I saw Kelly Olenek at, at Summer League this year, he was sitting down a couple rows in front of me. And like I, I had to resist the urge to talk a little trash there. That one gutted me too as a Wizards fan. That, that gutted, gutted me. I mean, Kelly Olenek, out of all guys, Kelly Olenek, I got nothing against him. He's a little over, but I mean, Canadian dude, just long ponytail, doesn't even look like a baller. He just goes and drops 34 on me. <laughs> like, come on, come on, man. Any other guys on the ATP tour that are, would surprise us to know are, are NBA fans too? Um, There's one guy who's, who's been injured for a really long time. Snazzy Kokonak is also an Australian guy. He's actually close to CP3. He, he's, he's a big fan, NBA fan. Um, there's guys who try to bluff and act like they know what they're talking about. There's, there's a lot of guys like that. But as far as like guys who like who like are in it, in it, I would just say, like honestly, like me and Nick, I know Isner played a little hoops growing up, you know, yeah, being Isner, a big Isner guy. Too. Riley Opoka loves it. Tommy Paul loves it. The American guys all are pretty much obsessed with it. Sam Quarry and things like that. Gail Malfis is actually really good at basketball, too. He's Tommy an athlete. Loves it because obviously there's a bunch of French guys with, um, with Tony Parker, obviously Rudy Gobert, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's actually there's, there's a decent amount. There's a decent amount. Jack Sox and also. If, if you weren't doing your thing on, on a tennis court, what other sports you think you could, could compete at at a professional level? Man, I was I'm one of the, I was one of those dudes. Obviously, I, obviously, I played hoops and stuff as a joke when I was younger. But man, I was one of those dudes. Like, you know, I saw tennis as, as you know, a definitely opportunity for me and my family to get out of the situation where we're in and put everybody in a better situation. So I was locked in tennis, man. That's all I did. That's all I cared about when I was a young. And uh, obviously now, you know, I'm in a good place. I, you know, follow the sports and, I, and I, my eye catches other other things. But back then, you know, I had to. I, I was legs in and. You know, this this is who I am. This is what I'm going to be. So, yeah, I only really play tennis primarily growing up. I know you guys, you know, your, your pops was working at a training facility. Right. Do you feel like that that was an advantage to, to you as far as your development, you know, early on, just having access to, to ground, to, to train? 100%. I mean, I the only thing that was at a tennis court longer than me was, like, the net post. <laughs> I mean, I was I was at the court all day. You know, I, I cherish it. I love that. I still do. You know, even right now, I'm missing it a lot. You know, I... That's the only thing I wanted to do. And um, I was able to get a lot of access time and even hear the coaches, you know, when they're coaching other people, seeing what they're doing, I would go try it on my own when, when they wouldn't let me go in the full-time program or, or the after-school program when I was really young. Kind of just picking dudes' brains, asking questions, and just kind of just being a sponge. Do you still keep in touch with a lot of the JTCC guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coaching and stuff, yeah. I mean, even even the players that grew up with me, they, they're my best friends now. Uh, obviously, you know, them seeing me on the tour, they were following me, always like cheering me on. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And, you know, yeah, those relationships you kind of keep forever. And, you know, those those things, those relationships where Franz Tifa wasn't a name, you know, you kind of cherish those. You know, not one of those guys trying to latch on that. So uh, one of the big highlights in the way you burst onto the scene was a U.S. Open match against Roger Federer, where you guys had a long five-setter. Uh, what's yeah. what's it like to play a guy like that and, and compete at that level and, and show everybody that you can hang with the best in the business? Yeah, man, that was that was special, man. That was that was, that was, that was definitely you know special. It reminded me of that you know at first you know Iris and MJ. It was kind of like yo, man, like I'm 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 here and I'm about to show the whole world. Like it's not just you know. Uh, 
a name. You know, I'm 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 here to make some noise tonight. And I and it's funny because I went into that match. I was like, man, I'm I'm not here to have a good match. I'm here to beat this guy. And obviously, I almost did. So yeah, there, there was a lot of hype after that. And to do that there in New York, cause I always told my family, I'm gonna put Roger Federer on that court one day. And to, and to have that happen was was pretty special. What's the one goal that you know that you set that trumps every other goal that that you have in place thus far? What's that one goal uh, that's on the top of your board uh, that you're chasing every day? Well, other than other than obviously being great and trying to win Grand Slams and things like that, I mean, my my personal massive goal is to to leave. I mean, a, a massive legacy is to have you know people of color not only want to play the game of tennis but to be great in whatever field they're in, to be inspired of what Frank Steve did. I mean, kind of like you know what happened to Kobe. Seeing how it respected everybody, no matter what you did, if you were you know a doctor, lawyer, if you back in groceries like that, that hurts. You know what I'm saying? Like that's you know party was got was gutted and just because. Everybody knew what he gave to the sport. Everybody knew what he gave to other people. And, you know, give people a chance to, to be somebody like that. That's what it's all about. You're chasing greatness, man. Keep going. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Larry obviously competed with and against the the two guys that most people consider the GOAT on the basketball side in, in Michael Jordan and LeBron James. So, two-part question for you, Francis. You've also competed against two of the people in consideration for tennis GOAT in Roger Federer and Nadal. On the basketball side, who would you take? And on the tennis side, who would you take? <sighs> You putting me here? Uh, look, man. I mean, Bron's obviously my time, right? Bron's obviously my time. But I mean, six and O. I mean, dude. Like, what are we talking about? Like six and O. Like, I, I gotta say, MJ. Like, I mean, you see this highlight. Like six and O. What are we talking about, bro? <laughs> I mean, this dude's like MJ with the flu. Bro, come on, man. Dude's best game. They can't even play an MJ with the flu game. So I'm gonna go MJ, man. And then as far as you know, Roger and Rafa, I mean they're tight right now with 20 slams and 19 slams. But I mean playing both of them, I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna have to say Roger. I'm a Roger fan. I, li- I like how easy the game comes to him. Everything he's done for the sport. I mean his legacy is gonna live for years and years. I mean he's he's forever. Even if these guys pass him, Roger's that dude. Man. I'm with you on both. Yeah. <laughs> Who you got for the for the goat, Larry? On basketball. Court. Oh, if, if basketball players, it's MJ. Right? MJ, he's he's done it all. He's he's you know the guy that I look to, you know, on and off the court. Obviously, play with with Bron. And how I always say it is, if you look at you know if you look at the Jordan man, you look at the Jordan symbol. You know, you got MJ there. You got Bron just hanging on to that shoe. Right? That's how close he is. He's just hanging on to that shoe. He's not going anywhere. He's there for life. That's how I see it. Trust. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, Francis, thanks for taking a couple minutes with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're, we're a DMV sports focused podcast here, you know, obviously primarily basketball, but we love showing yeah. a, a little love and support for, for you as well. So uh, appreciate you taking the time. Keep us posted and hopefully you can, uh, you can get back out on the court here soon. Thank you, man. Y'all take care. Man, keep going, young fella. Yeah, thanks, man. You too. All right, folks, that was our interview with Francis TFO. Hopefully you enjoyed that one. Obviously, Larry and I are going to focus mostly on basketball, but while we got a little free time here, we wanted to, to give you a little different taste and, and bring in another sports uh, star just to kind of get a different feel for, you know, what it's like being a pro athlete in another sport as well. Uh, Larry, anything you know major that you took away from that interview about the overlap of the two sports? Just basketball and sports travel, uh, just because you play – one major sport that doesn't mean that you're not a fan of the other major sports and you have your favorite players you have your favorite games you have your favorite jerseys um so we're all in this thing together man it's good to see uh, the different sports you know have conversations and they all overlap it's probably hard to be a fan of your own sport when you're living it and on the tour and have to battle those guys so it's probably helpful to have another outlet and something else you can watch too 
recently the Ringer Podcast Network, specifically the Bill Simmons podcasts, and they've been doing them on their their Book of Basketball channel too, have been redrafting uh, drafts, you know, starting in the mid to late 90s. And and they very recently did the 1998 draft that uh, was your draft class and, and did a redraft of the top 15 picks only. So you went eighth in that draft originally. So I'm going to read you off the list here of, of of their redraft. And I want to get your thoughts on this and, and we can go through it in as much detail as we want here. But gotcha. The the first thought is you were in a pretty stacked draft class here. Uh, you don't, you don't see things like this too typically today. So the first pick in their redraft was Dirk Nowitzki, kind of hard to argue with a, you know, a first ballot hall of famer going there. That seems legitimate. So the, the first five here, I think, are, are pretty fair. So Paul Pierce went two, Vince Carter three, uh, Richard Lewis went four. You could maybe start to pick at that one a little bit. Former Wizard Antoine Jameson went fifth. So personally, I would have had Jameson ahead of Lewis, but uh, you played against both those guys. What, what do you think about that one? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's pretty consistent with how the draft actually went for, for Twan. So I think he, you know, he's, he's, he's probably a little bit ahead of Richard again but Rashard got a championship so yeah that, that, that definitely gives everybody a little leg up I would think um oh yeah so six they had Mike Bibby and and this is this is where it started to they got a little uh a little hazy for me I think so Jason Williams white chocolate Jason Williams went after Bibby Catino Mobley Rafe LaFrance Al Harrington Rafer Alston and then Larry Hughes at number 12 what, what do you think about those couple names right in front of you Larry um, I don't want to put I you too much would, on the spot. You yeah, don't have to yeah, trash yeah, anybody. No, I, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I wouldn't agree with that. You know, I wouldn't agree with that. I don't know what the uh, what the fan pool was as far as piecing out that that draft class. But some good talent, man. I mean, we all get a chance to to compete and be in the league, man. That's that's really a blessing in itself. And at that point, for me, it's like wherever I went <laughs> in the draft, you know, in '98 was good. So I can look back and say I'll stick with number eight. I'll keep. I'll keep it. I'll, I'll stick with number eight. I think, you know, if anywhere outside the top five is, you know, top five is pretty, pretty tough list to be in. That's great company. Your best couple seasons in the league, though, are as good as, as most of those guys in that top five. So that's, that's probably where I would have assumed that uh, you would go in a list like that, too. Um, uh, Obviously, I think people sleep on people like, uh, you know, like a Rafe LaFrance, like his, his best couple years in the league were pretty good, too, but obviously didn't have the longevity and, and had some injuries and stuff. And for Wizards fans, you know, you kind of remember Al Harrington by the time he got to Washington and he was on the tail end of things. But, you know, he, he could bring it in the, the Pacers days too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Al's a good friend of mine. You know, a good friend of mine, a guy that came out of high school. So, you know, I think that's a you know, testament to his work ethic to have a, a draft, you know, years and years later, you know what I'm saying, that he goes, now he goes, you know, in, in the top of the ranks. Especially for Richard. Richard was in the, in the green room, you know, when everybody was – was gone. So for, for him to, to turn his career around and then, you know, have this, this little redraft situation and have them, you know, noticed as, as one of those good players in that draft is, I think that's solid. And he was another guy that only spent a limited amount of time in Washington, but, you know, everybody talked fondly about from a character standpoint. And I think part of the reason that they brought him in, uh, in the trade for Gilbert Arenas was because they knew they wouldn't have, you know, any locker room issues or anything like that. So. Um, yeah, for sure. Good to see a, a guy like that get a, get a little love after the fact. But uh, to your point, I, th- I think he went like 32 originally or something like that. No, yeah, man, that, that was rough. You know, that was rough to to see him, you know, hanging around the, the green room and, and, you know, obviously knowing that he had talent or he wouldn't be there. Uh, just, you know, once you get to that draft room, like you really have 
zero control. I mean, everybody on the outside can have their thoughts and their comments, but once you're back into that room, it's like, it's just a waiting game. I think he's one of the reasons that the NBA has like really tried to focus in on if somebody's invited to the green room, like we better be damn sure that they're going, you know, somewhere around the lottery and saw the other year with Bull Bull was one of the few people it's kind of really dropped based on where they were projected. But for the most part, they they seem to have kind of tried to avoid situations like that again, especially for a young guy too. It's even tougher when you're 18 compared to 22. Yeah, that's a very good point. These kids are getting younger. So, I mean, the self-esteem and, and all that stuff that goes along with just that age, making sure that those guys are solid going in. Uh, so, so speaking of some draft related stuff, uh, just because I'm like desperate for basketball related things to watch. I've been going through some of the, uh, you know, pre-draft player profiles. And and one of the names that, that seems to have resonated with the fan base here is uh, Anyeka Akangwu out of USC. He's a freshman this year. And Mike Schmitz of, of ESPN talked to him and, and they went through, you know, through some film and stuff like that. And uh, it was interesting watching a couple of these draft profiles in a row with the actual prospect because they basically ask like the same 10 questions, but of pretty much any post player that had like good hands and could corral the ball, they asked them, did they play football? Were they a tight end or anything like that? And, um, they they asked the Kongwu, you know, did look at that catch? Were you, were you a football player? And he said, no. And they were like, are you sure? It's like, I think he would be reasonably sure if he played football or not. But you do see a lot of... Um, you know, transferable skills between different sports and some cross training. Did you play other sports growing up or was it kind of strictly basketball? Uh, well, it was strictly organized basketball, but playing in the schoolyard, pick up, play court, play killer man, you know, football, every man for himself, and tumble, you know, found old mattresses that people had thrown out with the good box springs in them. So we did those kind of deals and, you know, hopping gates. Um, so those kind of exercises that, these kids nowadays, they get them in a, in a controlled environment. So they're going from sport to sport. But for me growing up, I was able to, to figure out how to juke and move or also how to do flip notes and flip notes and do those type of things. So just growing up really and being out in the space, you know, really helped me get my skills together. You know, nobody had a parachute strapped to you as you ran, you know, suicides at age 12 or anything like that. Not then, man. We were probably, you know, running from stray dogs and, and, you know, just creating some conflict so we can take off and run and see who gets there first. Those sort of games that we played to, to get our skills up. Yeah, it's definitely a different world now and, and people are, are starting to to prep for the draft and, and you know, higher level basketball earlier on. And I've actually kind of asked you this a little bit off record before we started going here, but did you have any thoughts coming out of high school about declaring for the NBA so quickly or only needing a year of college to get ready for that? No, you know what? I really didn't know what I needed. Um, I knew I had a joy of the game. I knew I was getting better, but I didn't have, I didn't necessarily have a goal to reach the NBA. So I was just kind of going through the motions. I was trying to stay out of trouble. I was trying to find a way to, to be successful, not knowing if basketball or playing basketball would be that vehicle. But I really didn't have dreams of, of going to the NBA. So really playing my freshman year in college, I was just more of sourcing information and people approaching us about what sort of opportunities would be out there, what sort of things that are available to us, uh, be it a draft or be talking with agents or evaluating you know, the evaluation process. Like I was completely blind to that. I didn't know anything about that. So really for me, it was an opportunity for someone to find me. Uh, it was really a blessing because I wasn't out looking for it. 
Like right now, I think kids they go out to look for it because it's 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 there, it's visible. But for me, I didn't I didn't have that you know, I didn't have that in front of me. So just the opportunity for somebody to come and say they saw something in me that I had the ability to play with professionals and play with grown men and play at the highest level of basketball. Then my eyes got open to you know the opportunities that were out there and started figuring out okay is this the right time okay there's a draft coming up where are the teams placed where are certain places that i would like to go so i'm from the midwest so i'm looking at okay this is like a, a visit trip or like a vacation type deal where i can go and explore and have the ability to to get out of my environment and go play some basketball not that you went under the radar or anything like that, but you know, guys now, by the time they're 12 years old, people are like, oh, this guy's a five-star eventual high D1 kind of thing. It's got to be just different for those kids trying to, to manage that from a young age and, and the expectations that get heaped on them early. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I won all of that stuff, right? I mean, I won all of the, scored the most points in high school and McDonald's All-American and everything that you could win, you know what I'm saying, leading up to to going to college and you know, trying to be accessible and trying to transfer that, you know, that ability into college. So I felt like my accolades and things were, were there, but my eyes just weren't open to what that stuff really meant. Like I just wanted to be better than the person that was standing across from me. That's it. Like that is completely it. Okay. We're talking about who's going to win, who's going to be number one. That's really what I'm shooting for, not to be number one, to gain this or gain that. It was just really to be number one so I can beat that person that's a, that was across from me. Yeah, it probably helped from a mental st- you know, standpoint too, to be kind of focused on just exactly what you can control and not who's specifically who's ranking, had you ahead of which guy and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just it's just a lot going on for me at that during that time. My brother was was dealing with with an illness and that was really my focus. I, I played basketball because I was good at it. And, and he got some joy from me playing basketball. I mean, really. Um, so I played and played and played until I couldn't play anymore or till he he couldn't watch me anymore. But that was really, you know, it kept me in line and kept my focus in the right place. Um, so I didn't worry about what other people were saying because I knew that my family was getting the joy out of seeing me play. And for me, that was really, it was really all that mattered. Yeah, that makes sense. And and that, that kind of brings up an interesting point of, you know, obviously you went eight, so it was the right choice and and, and yeah. that that worked and you got to help your family and, and set them up well. And but do you, do you think another year of college in retrospect would have done anything for you at that point? Like, was it better to get to the NBA and get professional level coaching and experience or, or would another year of seasoning, I guess, in, in college have helped you long term? I think, I think going that high, um, it was the right decision because, again, then I was able to really focus on my game, really focus on you know, being a professional, really get with the best people in the game, whether it be strength and conditioning guys, whether it be medical staffs, whether it be just a, you know, just information that coaches can download to you. So I think for me, it was, it was the best decision. And also I kind of, I probably could have went seventh to, to Sacramento. Uh, it just wasn't a place that I was necessarily interested in going. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did a few things that, you know, made sure that I wouldn't go to Sacramento. So it was a good decision for me, man. I could have went anywhere from, I think it was six to, to eight. And I ended up going eight, which dropped into a great place in Philadelphia. Good connection, good coach. Uh, met one of my good friends today. So I think it was it was definitely the right decision. And I think Philly wasn't necessarily one of those kind of typical lottery teams where, you know, they needed like a long rebuild. They obviously had a, a star there and in place. And, you know, Sacramento at that time was probably a, a slightly different story. And, you know, might have been a longer a longer road as they tried to rebuild. Obviously, they got good a couple of years later, but. At that point in that development, that was probably a good call. 
Yeah, you just never know, right? Sacramento, they did get good a couple years after that, but Philadelphia also did the same. Mm -hmm. But by that time, I had transitioned out to Golden State, and we were terrible. So it's like, it's just all about, you know, just timing and experiences and, you know, just keeping one foot in front of the other because it really is. I mean, you're only going to be successful as the team that you play on. I mean, it's not always based on, you know, the talent of that individual. So being dropped in the right situation at the right time, at the right place, with the right people around you, with the right vision, I mean, that plays a huge part in, in you know, the longevity of, of players and, and organizations and, you know, how teams are able to win. All right. So you alluded to this. I got to I got to pick here that, that that's my job on the show. There's got to be a, a little bit of a story there. You know, you mentioned doing some things in, in, in the Sacramento. Maybe there's at the interview, like maybe not giving your best interview or not sending them medicals. Like, wh what do you got? It, it was just a workout. It was a, it was the workout. I went to Golden State before I went to Sacramento. I got a little bit banged up in, in Golden State. I think it was a little tweak my ankle or sprained ankle or something like that. But it was all about the workout. Like I didn't give. Mm -hmm. what I knew I had, you know, in the workouts. So I didn't you know, sabotage any sort of interviews or anything like that. But did I go full speed in, in, in the workout? Nah, I, I didn't. I, I can admit that. You, you always hear the story kind of after the fact about Kobe Bryant uh, saying like if certain teams had drafted him earlier in the lottery that he would have just packed it up and gone overseas and played in Italy. And that was sort of their, their leverage. And, and he was probably one of the few guys at the time, you know, having spent time in Italy, you know, spoke the language that that maybe that's a credible threat, but you always wonder about how much of that stuff kind of actually goes on behind the scenes, how much politics yeah. there is. A, a lot of politics, you know, a lot of politics, especially now with the game, you know, being so global and being so big, I mean, you have some other opportunities to, you know, to kind of pull your, your Trump card, you know, kind of you know, give, give an idea that you have other options because the game is so big now, but yeah, you have to, you have to play the game as well. I mean, players have to also play the game into politics and to make sure that they, feel that they're getting or being placed in the best spot as possible. Are they always right? Are we always right? Not necessarily, but I mean, you do enough homework, you do enough research and you have your wants and you have your needs. And, and that's kind of what you go by until, until somebody says different or makes you do something different. I think it's probably a little more widely known at this point, like who the good front offices are and things like that. I think fans have an idea of that. Maybe they didn't, you know, in the, in the nineties and stuff like that, because internet and the way things are now, but do you just have to rely on your agent to kind of give you good feedback on like who runs a good organization the right way? Obviously, you know how good the team is, but you don't really probably get to see the behind the scenes things, you know, like an agent does. Yeah, I think it's, it does rely on the agent and because it's, it's, the game is built on relationships and you know, general managers that become agents, agents that have transitioned into different roles uh, you know, managers that have transitioned into agents and also into into front office roles. So it, for me, it's about relationships. So making sure that whoever your agent is, you have enough you know, understanding and have enough of a relationship with your agent that you can rely on them to, to pull the right cards. Uh, every agent is not going to pull every resource that they have because it's a funnel. I mean, they don't want to mess up a resource and you're not doing exactly what you're supposed to do because the next person comes around, you know, the, the resource is not going to look out for them. So it is important to have a have a good agent that's in the game, right? That's it, been in the game. It's been around for a while. I had uh, David Falk and Jeff Wexler, uh, which were two guys that staples in, in, within the game. Uh, everybody knows them within, yeah, within you know, all the organizations. So you're going to get the the best information possible because you're working with those guys. And if you have the the mutual respect, then they'll make sure that that you're taken care of in a, in a in that manner. So Jeff Wexler, who 
to my agent throughout my career. I mean, he's really still my agent. I mean, he's he doesn't have to do much, but when I tell, you know, talk to people and, you know, that's my agent, you know, that's not my old agent. That's my agent. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. So those are the sort of relationships that, that you can't, I mean, you can't uh, give away. You can't hold those for granted because everybody is not like the guys that I had you know, with me. How did you end up with those guys? Was it a, a couple of people you tried out or interviewed first, or you just kind of got lucky on, on the first try there? Uh, well, we interviewed a, a few uh, agents, I believe. Actually, I, I had a, a, a small team around me, but people that I, that I trusted, and they actually took like, the first five or so uh, interviews, and you know, the last two were were my interviews to take and to figure out who I liked between the two. Mm-hmm. And you know, those got David started uh, with me, and then Jeff was quickly put into place because he was taking a larger role. So. David was my agent, but I looked to to Jeff um, more so as that, that primary role. So we, we talked about your draft and and how deep a class was it. Were, were there any guys from that draft that you were kind of surprised that didn't end up, you know, having the career that, you know, that some of these other guys did? Like, was there one particular name of, of people where it was like, oh, you know, everybody kind of thought that that was the dude, like a Shamond Williams or somebody that had a big college career? Is there anyone that comes to mind? Not, not necessarily. I mean, just, you just look at that number one spot and Ola Kenny having that, you know, that number one spot and how there's a lot of young guys that were in place. A lot of the blue blood schools where Arizona was up there, North Carolina with Tuan and, and, and Vince. So we had a bunch of you know, really good programs and really good players, you know, in place. And for, for Ola Kenny to get that number one spot, I mean, we were chasing that you know, that number one spot is like, okay, is Mike Bibby going to get it? Is Vince going to get it? I mean, we just don't know uh, how it's going to play out. But for for his situation not to work out, I'm sure how he planned it, you know, planned on it to work out, is, is somewhat, you know, of something that I kind of look back on and say, hey, you know, even though you go number one, or even though you're the top guy, that's not necessarily where you're going to end up. And that's not necessarily the, the end all be all. Uh, so he's probably a guy that I look at, it's like, you know, he did go number one. But there are a lot of guys that, you know, went late first round, early second round that had some great careers. And it didn't matter if they went, you know, one or if they went 45. They had a good they had a good career. Uh, I'm assuming you probably never played against um, Olo Candy in college. So had you seen much of him prior to the draft or is he kind of a lesser known guy to the to the rest of the pool? Uh, it was less to, for for me. I, I didn't know much about him. Again, being in the Midwest, you know, playing at St. Louis University. Uh, didn't know much about him until really we just we started late late in the draft process. I wouldn't even say early on as far as when we started doing the workouts, it wasn't really on my radar. But it, I guess it just so happens that as someone else is going through their track and and they're getting more eyeballs on them, then their status raises as, as well. So it was kind of like boom, it's a shock. He's there and it's probably going to go you know in that spot. Just sticking with the draft here a little bit. One of your former teammates, Kwame Brown, was another guy that. You know, he was a name as a high school player, but he probably wasn't the name until late in that process. You heard like Eddie Curry and people like that probably a little more often. How come a guy like Kwame that that has like the tools that people see that that kind of get that attention? How come a guy like that doesn't end up working out? Is it just opportunity, bad luck? Like what what kind of leads to things like that in your opinion? I think it's opportunity, and and you're still basing everything on the big P word potential and what can he bring to the table or what will he kind of transition it into what sort of player he'll become. So it is, it's really about potential. 
Uh, Okay, folks, that's another episode of the Believe in Wizards podcast. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and uh, let us, you know, find us on social media. We're at Believe in Wizards on Twitter, B-L-E-A-V in Wizards, and just let us know if you have any questions or stuff you want us to talk about. Otherwise, I'm Matt, and he's Larry, and we'll check you guys next week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube